effortlessly, and those bumblers who bumbled their way through life. Bumblers, I said. Yes, they said, or one of them did. Those who bumble. Give me an example, I said. And they stared at me with those blue steel stares they were born with and didn't need to learn at Choate or Andover. And they stared those stares until I realized that I was an example. And so this is what I learned from them, that I was a bumbler. And I resigned myself to the fact and had no illusions about striving to be something else, a bond analyst or a memoirist, for instance, and just got on with it. Life, that is. I learned something from everyone, is the point. Even while I was fending off the requisite cell block buggerer, a gentle but crooked corporate accountant at Arthur Anderson who was just finding his true sexual self and who told me in a cracked, aching voice that he wanted me. Wanted me, that is, until I told him I was a virgin, which I was, and which, for some reason, made him not want me anymore, which meant that people did not want to sleep with 28-year-old male virgins, which I thought was useful to know. Finally, I learned to play basketball from this black guy named Terrell, which was one of the big joys of my life in prison, and which ended badly. Terrell, who had written checks to himself when he was the Worcester city treasurer, was in prison for the last three of my ten years. And whenever he would beat me in one-on-one, -on -one, this wasn't often, even when I was first learning to play, because although he was very strong, Terrell was also shorter than I was, and about as sleek as a fire hydrant. Plus, he was twice my age, and his knees were completely shot and would crack like dry wood when he ran. Whenever he would beat me, Terrell would yell out, I'm a grown-ass man. That sounded good. And so after our last game, which I won easily, I also yelled out, I'm a grown-ass man. Terrell thought I was mocking him, so he started hitting me around the head. And since I get passive in the face of true anger, I just stood there and took Terrell's abuse and didn't try to defend myself. As the guards dragged him to solitary, he promised he would beat on me a little more once he got out, which he shouldn't have because, of course, the guards then gave him more solitary than they might have otherwise. By the time Terrell got out, I'd already been released from prison and was home living with my parents. That didn't work out too well living with my parents. For one, my burning down the Emily Dickinson house caused them some real heartbreak because my mother was a high school English teacher, my father an editor for the university press in town, and beautiful words really mattered to them. They didn't care anything from movies or TV, but you could always count on a good poem to make them cry or sigh meaningfully. For another, their neighbors in Amherst weren't exactly happy. I'd burned down the town's most famous house and killed two of its citizens in the bargain, so they took it out on my parents. People never had trouble finding our old, creaking house on Chicopee Street. It was always the one with the driveway that had been spray-painted with murderer, which I understand, or fascist, which I don't, or with some quote from Dickinson herself that seemed to promise vengeance. But you could never tell exactly what the vengeance might be because there were a lot of words, and the spray painter always got sloppy and illegible from fatigue or maybe over-emotion. It only got worse when I went home after prison. There was some picketing by the local arts council, 
and some unwelcome, unflattering news coverage, and neighborhood kids who cared nothing about Emily Dickinson or her house started egging the place and draping our noble birches with toilet paper, and for a while there it was like Halloween every day. Then things really got serious, and someone slashed every tire on my parents' Volvo, and once, in a fit of anger or grief, someone hurled a Birkenstock through one of our bay windows. It was a man's right shoe, size 12. All of this happened within the first month of my return home. At the end of the month, my parents suggested I move out. I remember it was August, because the three of us were sitting on our front porch, and the neighbor's flags were out, caught between the Fourth of July and Labor Day, and in full flutter, and the light was spectral through the maple and birch leaves, and it was all very pretty. You can imagine how much my parents' request that I leave home wounded me, even though they